Well, good morning, First Baptist Simpsonville, Upstate Church. My name is Corey Watson. If I haven't had the pleasure to meet you, I hope I have that pleasure later today. I'm the student director, and I have the privilege, the awesome privilege, of investing in your students. And so it is my privilege today to open up the Word of God with you. As you saw from the bumper video, we are continuing with our series called Counterfeit Gospel. If you're new here or you're watching online for the first time, let me give you just a quick synopsis about what this series is is about. We are taking statements and probably better said beliefs even in our culture and maybe even in this room and we're looking at them and measuring them by the Bible and saying are they true or not and as you can tell from the title every single week we look at those statements that are not true which is why we are calling them lies and so I don't know about you but as for me when I come to a new week in this series I am finding myself saying, oh, man, I really struggle with that. And then next week, oh, man, that's been apparent in my life. Oh, man, it's like every single week I'm exposed more and more to the sinfulness of my heart with this series, which is a good thing. And so if that's you, hey, we're, we're in good company this morning. Today our lie in this counterfeit gospel series is this. God wants me to be happy and wealthy. God wants me to be happy and wealthy. That's something we want to believe, right? That's something that seems like a good thing. But as we'll see in a minute, while individually and secondarily that may be good, primarily it's a counterfeit gospel. It is not found in the Bible. And so if you're like me, you, you hear this statement and you say, okay, I, I can understand and maybe even fall for the lie that God wants me to be happy. But in the economy and with the gas prices as such, he definitely don't want me to be wealthy, right? Well, I, I get it. I filled my car up the other day, and it, it just hurt my heart. But understand this. To reframe it, because we often view wealth as comparing ourselves to the top 1% in this country. But to reframe this from a worldwide perspective, I would say even a more biblical perspective in terms of how much wealth all of us actually have. Listen to these statistics from a study done two years ago. America controls 30% of the world's wealth. 30%. You say, well, that doesn't sound like a lot. That is twice as much as the second place countries, $105 trillion. You say, okay, but that, again, that's millionaires and billionaires. That's not us normal folk, Corey. Well, I'm glad you said that. Because if your household makes $63,000, if your household income is $63,000, you are in the top 0.17% richest people of this world. richest people in this world. You say, well, Corey, my household doesn't make that. Well, I'm glad you said that. Because if your household makes $14,000, so we're talking poverty level, right? Below the poverty line in America. If your household makes $14,000, you are seven times richer than the average world citizen. Seven times richer. So I think we can all agree now that, yes, while we may not seem wealthy in comparison to other Americans sometimes, we are wealthy and far wealthier than this world has ever known before this time period. And so this lie is especially applicable to us, and I would say even more applicable to us in the American South. And so here's the question I love to ask with these lies. Why do I fall for them? Why do I trip and stumble into them? Why do I latch onto them so easily? I believe two things 
make this lie so easy to believe today. Number one, it gives a false sense of security and accomplishment in my life, even spiritually speaking. It is very easy, in fact, it is very American for us to look at something and say, I accomplished this, I got the promotion, I got another comma in my bank account, I'm giving my child a better life than I had. I'm in this group that's giving me approval now and say, God must love me more than he did yesterday. Or God must love me more than he does that person down the road. And so it starts to give us this false sense of security and accomplishment on a spiritual level. It makes me the superhero and it dictates to God what success really is on my terms. The second reason why we fall into this, it feeds into American individualism. Put it another way, it feeds into the American dream. I would say it this way, it feeds into the American gospel, which is not the gospel at all. And we say, what do you mean, Corey? Because we tell people, in fact, graduates, this is a lie that you have been sold for most of your high school, middle school, maybe even elementary school career. Things like get the degree, get a skill, go to college, get a vocation, do what makes you happy. At this point in your lives, I can assure you, you will hear some form of this lie over the next month of your life, maybe even for the next year of your life. And you were told that if you achieve the American dream, that that will be enough in your life. Question I ask you with this, we'll be asking all throughout our time this morning. When was the last time you saw the American dream really satisfy somebody? I was speaking to Woodmont Fields of Faith on Friday, and I asked him this question. I said, when, when you achieve whatever that worldly dream or worldly treasure is, does it really satisfy? Or, as I believe is true, I achieve this, but then guess what? Now I want to achieve that. And I achieve that, now I want to achieve that. And it never ends. Graduates, do yourself a favor. Instead of saying, here's what I'm good in, here's what I'm passionate about, now God just bless this, throw those dreams out the door, sorry mom and dad, and look to God and say, what would you have for my life? And be willing to change even if it means going against the grain there. But maybe you're not a graduate, maybe you're an adult, or maybe you're younger, and you're saying, well, how does this lie intersect with my life? Understand this, this lie is tempting, I believe, for every single American sitting in here, for every single person that finds himself, especially in the South, on a Sunday morning. And so the per proverbial question is, how should we respond? Here's how we should respond with each of these lies every week that we're covering them. We turn to the Word of God and we say, God, what would you say about this? So if you got a Bible, you can be turning to Matthew 6. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us really the reply to this lie. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible or if it's your first Sunday here, if you're watching online for the first time, maybe you're not a Christian. Hey, awesome. I am so excited that you're here. I would love to have the privilege to talk with you individually and express my gratitude for you being here or tuning in online. But maybe you've never opened the Bible. So the backdrop to the passage we're reading today is this. Jesus is getting started in his earthly ministry. This is the son of God, the savior of the world. And he is giving this iconic teaching, probably the most iconic teaching he ever gives us in the gospels. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It stretches from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. And if you sit here today and you don't know Jesus or you struggle with who Jesus is or how you should respond with who Jesus is, I would invite you to read this passage, Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, and ask two questions. 
What does this say about Jesus and who he is and how, I should, re- how should I respond? And I believe you'll find both of those answers in these few chapters here. So look with me as Jesus confronts this lie that God wants me to be happy and wealthy. We'll be reading the first part of this passage, Matthew 6. We'll pick up in verse 19. Verses will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So we're taking a little bit different approach to this passage and really this lie today. And we're asking questions instead of giving points. These questions are meant for us to reflect upon the word of God and how we are to respond to this lie that culture will often sell us. The first question is this. What are you seeking? What are you seeking in this life? It's a question every single one of us have an answer to. Whether you want to say it out loud or not. You are seeking something in this life. Whether it's of eternal worth, that is heavenly worth, or whether it's of earthly worth and temporary worth. Every single person in this room, watching online, in this world, all seven and a half billion people, we are hardwired to seek something to worship. This is why John Calvin said our hearts are idol-making factories. We long to worship something. And whether that's the God of the universe or the little G false gods that we love to serve. We will seek something in this life. And Jesus knows this. And so what he's saying here is that he really puts two categories out of what we might be seeking here today. The first is earthly treasure, or where you would find this lie that God wants me to be happy and wealthy. And here's what he says about earthly treasure. It is temporary and is insignificant. Now, it's tempting to look at earthly treasure and say, oh, well, that's just living for the paycheck and living for the bigger bank account. But understand this, treasure can mean any number of things. It's not just money or even status according to how rich you are. It can be approval of others. It can be getting a degree. It can be pursuing a career or a profession. It can be what we find wrapped in this lie. I want to give my child a better life than I had, right? I heard that so many times. I've even said that so many times. And we elevate these earthly things to be equal or worthy of the status for us to seek in our lives. And what Jesus says is, it's temporary. It will not last. Graduates, you can achieve the American dream. You can build the bank account. You can get a yacht to retire on. And please call me. I'd love to hang out with you on it. But at the end of the day, it's not going with you after this life. You won't see it again. And so it's temporary and it's insignificant. It's not saying these things are bad. It seems like Jesus might be hating on these things, but he's not. He's just hating on them when they are the primary things. These things like getting wealth, being excellent at your job, achieving extra success in your job, or uh, seeing your family have a better life. Those are good things. Do those things, approach those things, but in the right order. 
That's where the slide comes into play. We often get that out of order. So he says, earthly treasure, temporary and insignificant, heavenly treasure. What is this? Because sometimes we struggle to define exactly what is heavenly treasure. It is the increasing of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. What does that look like on this level? It is doing things, looking to invest in things or actions, if you will, that pay eternal dividends on our return on investment. What that means is I am investing my time, my talents, my abilities, my finances, whatever the Lord has gifted me with for the furthering of the kingdom of God through the primary vehicle of the local church. Individually, that means sharing the gospel. Dads, because I'm a dad too, that means leading our family spiritually. It means talking to your neighbor about Jesus whom you're not sure how they'll respond. Students, it's taking your schools for Jesus. Investing in the things that matter far beyond this life, that change eternities. That's heavenly treasure. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, a lot of times we struggle with this question or we're not sure about one clear answer. And I told the first two services, I've told students this for over a decade now. You want to determine where your treasure is or what your treasure is or what you are seeking in this life? Look at your excess time, your negotiable time. We're not talking about the time you spend at work, sleep, or eat, right? Those are things you got to do. But we're talking about when you are outside of work, where are you spending your excess time? Where are you investing? What are you investing? How are you investing? That will tell you where your heart and your treasure are almost always. Jesus continues with this passage and seems like he completely switches gears and focuses on another part. But understand this, the next part of this passage where he starts talking about the eye and the eye is the, uh, leading us to darkness or to light and it seems like it doesn't fit. It actually fits because at this time, the audience Jesus was speaking to, they would have believed that the eye is really the gateway to my heart. And so whatever I'm focusing on, that is where my heart will be led. And you hear this implicit warning in there that you can be thinking that you are focusing on good things of worth and still be led into darkness. How so? It's the American dream. It's taking my stuff and my accomplishments and sprinkling some Jesus on it. Right, well, God must have blessed me. I got the new luxury car today. God must have blessed me. I, I upgraded in the new subdivision today. God must have blessed me. Man, my 401K is doing really, really well today. God must have blessed me because, man, my kids are, are happy and, and healthy and they have a better life than I do. Man, again, praise God for all those things. Let me drive your luxury car, right? I love a spin in it. But what he is saying is we can fool ourselves into thinking we are doing things of worth when actually we're just messing with trinkets and treasures that will go away. And he sums up this part of the passage by saying you can't serve two masters. A lot of us think that I can hold on to my earthly treasures and get me a little Jesus on Sunday or Wednesday nights, which I hope you're a part of that, and that'll be enough. And we want to hold both sides of that. Here's the thing. Serving Jesus, focusing on God, is a mutually exclusive thing. You cannot serve God and something else. I'll put it like this for you. 
Yesterday we went out to the kids event over at Upstate Church Malden. If you're a young family and you missed it, man, you missed out. Uh, it was an amazing event. The kids team, Emily Tool leads, uh, an amazing, an amazing time. Over 600 people were there. My family went as a dad of a toddler. I did what any dad would do. I looked at her as soon as we checked in. I said, what do you want to do? And guess where we ended up? The face painting station. So we're sitting there at the face painting station, and, and the girls who were painting her face, they show her this big sheet of paper, all the designs that you can get on it. And I said, now, Anna Grace, you can pick any of these designs on there except for that orange tiger paw. <laughs> I, I am, I, hey, 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 I'm in a University of South Carolina alum. I suffer, right? I suffer. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. But here's the thing, here's the thing. I'm like, girl, we don't, we don't do that in this household. You know? A couple weeks ago, she said that she liked orange. And I said, no, you don't. <laughs> and she said, yes, I do. I said, no, you don't. Melody said, Corey, you don't mess her up. I said, well, it's worth it. You know, it's, you know, so here's, here's the thing. But here's the reason why I'm bringing all that up. If I came to you today, now that you know that I suffer as a South Carolina fan, and I said, you know what? I'm tired of suffering, right? Which I kind of am. But I came to you and I, I said, all right, I'm going to pull for both teams now. Pardon my English, but both fan bases would tell me that fan ain't good for nothing, right? They kicked me out of both fan bases. Far greater than college football. We try to do the same thing with God. We try to say, Jesus, I love you. You've saved me from my sins. But man, I got to focus in the earth over here. I got to focus on this earthly treasure. And again, pardon the English, but Jesus says there ain't no fence riding in terms of following me. You're either focusing in on him or you're pursuing lies like God wants me to be happy and wealthy. God wants for your life, to, his want for your life is this. He wants you to be supremely satisfied in him over everything else. To seek him above all. And here's what that looks like. For many of us, as I said, we've bought the American lie, right? I was a graduate at one point years ago, and I bought the lie. I chose my major based off of what I was good in, and I looked at God and I said, hey, I hope you bless this. Even after college, when I was doing good things for Jesus, I went and served in a closed-off communist country for six months sharing the gospel of Jesus, something most American Christians will never do. And I told God that. And I said, God, I'm doing this. I'm doing this for you. You have six months. You have six months. Do with it whatever you want. I'll go wherever you say. But when I come back, when I get back to America, it's my time. I'll tell people about my time over here. I'll raise my kids in church. We'll be in church and, and this and that. But God, you have to understand, I've given you far more than most American Christians will. The rest of my life is my life. I'll get with you when I get to heaven. The audacity of my 23-year-old self. But I dressed it up in doing good things for Jesus. And here's the thing. Those first two months I was on the mission field, they were the two most miserable months of my life. Because I was checking the box of things that were worthy of God. But man, my heart was looking for earthly treasure. And it just wasn't satisfying. It was exhausting living on that mission field. Until finally one day God spoke to me as I was reading his word and on the side of a mountain in the, in the middle of this country. And it was almost like he's standing there asking me a question like, Are you ready to lay down that exhausting rat race? 
And I'll never forget it. I sat on the side of the mountain. I said, God, it pains me to let go of my plans and my career and what I want. And God, America tells me this is what I must have to be a success. But Lord, I know it's not enough. It's yours. It's one of the scariest moments of my life because I had no idea what the Lord had in store for me. Didn't even think about ministry at that point. Didn't even know what being a pastor was. But I said, Lord, wherever you lead, I'm yours now. It's been the wildest ride the past 13 years of my life. And I can, I can tell you this, that has been more satisfying than happiness and wealth that this world can offer. Leads us to the second question here. What am I seeking? And the second question is, will it satisfy? That's the proverbial catch question with this. You can say, I'm seeking this, this, and that. But is it satisfying you? And be honest with yourselves. Be honest with God. God can handle it. Is it satisfying you? And I think if we are seeking earthly treasures, then we will come to the conclusion that no, even though it may temporarily satisfy, it is not satisfying anywhere near beyond that. And Jesus responds again to this line in the next part of this passage. Look with me again. Matthew 6, we'll pick up in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What Jesus is hitting on here are two buzzwords that are all over our society. Kaylee mentioned it earlier. We are seeing this actually increase fourfold since the pandemic in our student population. Anxiety and worry. There's a good chance that most of the people sitting in this room today and watching online, you are struggling with anxiety and worry on some level. Now, hear, hear me well. Jesus is not saying if you ever feel anxiety or worry that you're in the wrong, okay? I'm a dad of a three-year-old toddler. Worrying is a part of my life sometimes. I worry where Anna Grace is. I don't hear her. Oh, my goodness. I hope Melody doesn't find out that I let her out of my sight line, right? Worry is a regular part of my life. But understand this, it's not the feeling of worry and anxiety that he's hitting on here. It's the sitting in worrying and anxiety that he's talking about. It's letting it overcome and dictate our actions. And so with seeking earthly treasure or believing the lie that God wants me to be happy and wealthy, I worry about the next thing in this earth that I need to achieve or do to temporarily satisfy my heart. And when I realize through my worrying that it will never truly satisfy, that's when it turns to anxiety. And I get anxious because I know the treasures and trinkets that I seek of this world, man, they, they aren't enough. They never will be. And here's what Jesus says in response to that. He says, do not be anxious. 
Do not worry if you are a follower of mine. Why? He gives three examples. He mentions birds, lilies, and grass. Three examples of which they add nothing in terms of value to their existence. What I mean is the bird doesn't go out and plant the fields of wheat or grain or whatever where the bugs come so they can eat. The lilies, they just sit there, yet he says they are more beautiful in their splendor than one of the most famous kings of the Old Testament by King Solomon. The grass that's here today and living, but tomorrow is dead and thrown in the oven or the furnace. Jesus says, your Father in heaven takes care of all three insignificant things of these. How much more will he take care of those who love his Son as their Savior? So if you're a believer here today, again, it's not a sin to feel anxious and worry about situations in your life. But it is a sin to sit in that and let it dictate that. And you say, well, Corey, you just don't understand my life. Well, understand the people that Jesus is speaking to here. In this room today, or maybe even online, you probably don't have to worry where your lunch is coming from. You probably have that sorted out or can sort it out pretty fast. And you say, well, Corey, I I may not. Well, you might miss a meal or two, and I get it. There's some hard times going on right now. But the people that Jesus was speaking to, they literally did not know if they could feed their families. A lot of them did not know. Why? Because there wasn't anywhere near the wealth that we see today. It was a very real thing to wake up and wonder day in and day out and worry and be anxious. Can I feed my family today? So this passage hits a little different for them. Jesus is looking at these people and saying, don't worry about how you can feed your family today. So why? That's a callous saying, Jesus. Why would you say that? And here's why. Jesus wants to show them the supreme priority, even over meeting physical needs, is the seeking of God first and foremost. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 4, four students, y'all heard it Wednesday night when I said it. Jesus says in the middle of his temptations, The devil is twisting scripture and he's using lies like counterfeit gospel lies. And he's trying to deceive Jesus. Jesus responds with scripture. And he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. And I told our students on Wednesday night, I said, this may sound extreme. It may sound a little facetious, but here's the thing. Give me the word of God over my next breath. And again, I know it sounds extreme. Like, Corey, don't you want to live? Yeah, of course I want to live. But more than that, I want to know my Savior who alone satisfies my life. And if it means knowing his word and having him in my life and seeking him that way, overtaking my next breath, I'll just go on to heaven with Jesus and be completely satisfied. God is saying here that if you are a follower of his, your focus should not be on earthly treasures or happiness and wealth that this world can offer because you and I both know that it do not satisfy. What he is saying here is this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all else will be taken care of. All else will be added to you. Focus on God. Graduates, focus on God, his plan for your life, not the world's plan, not your mom and daddy's plan. Sorry, mom and daddy's. Not what they want you to do, but ask God, what would you do if I gave you my life? And see how the Lord will use that. And he'll take care of the rest. Does it mean that your life will be easy and that you'll get the five-car garage and more commas in your bank account? No, that's a bunch of prosperity gospel. Man, it's not the gospel at all. What I do know is following a sinless Savior in a sinful world will often lead to a hard and difficult life. That's just the fact of the matter. There will be hard times. 
There will be times where I want that which I do not have. But I do know my God will supply my need every single time. So what are we seeking? Graduates, man, don't believe the lie. Don't believe the hype of the American dream. It's not worth it. What we need are not doctors, lawyers, teachers, farmers, whatevers in their careers making a paycheck to retire for a 401k to live out the last few decades of your life in comfort, picking up seashells on the seashore somewhere. We don't need more of those. We've got plenty of them. What we do need are doctors, farmers, lawyers, whatever's wholly pursuing and seeking God first and foremost and saying, God, if you lead me to a closed-off communist country, share the gospel where I might lose my life, so be it because you are worth it. Or if you lead me to plant my life in Simpsonville, South Carolina, to further the mission of Upstate Church, turn the Upstate upside down for Jesus, so be it. I am going to do it because I want you alone. If you're an adult in here, maybe it's sitting here and saying, one, I've been living for this life, or not even adults, but students. You've been living for this world, and the question I have for you is this. Are you, ti- are you tired? Are you exhausted? And I've been there. I-, I know what that is. This world will never satisfy you. So hear the invitation today that you have an invitation from the exhausting rat race into the rest of the Father. Where you don't have to wake up every single morning wondering if I've done enough Or I need to do more because that temporary feeling is gone. But you wake up every morning saying, the God in heaven, the God over it all is fully pleased in me because of me knowing his son. You wake up with the Father in heaven's approval every single morning, no matter what your past looks like. That's a restful state to be in. That's a satisfied state to be in. Maybe... You're following here like me, and maybe you are miserable like I was those days on the mission field. Maybe you've cared far more about your retirement or the next vacation that you can post about on social media than actually investing in eternal treasure. Well, the invitation for you is simply this, that you would recalibrate, that you would lay down those earthly trinkets and treasures which will never satisfy, which will always rust and be gone. And that you would pick up God's purpose for your life to seek him first and foremost, to seek him above all. God, Christian, God cares far more about using you for his purposes than he cares about you saving for retirement or that next vacation. So for some of the Christians in here, what it means is maybe you need to relocate your life on the mission field somewhere. In a room this size, I think it would be fair to say that may be the call in some of our lives. For others of us in here, we've been sitting on the sidelines just attending First Baptist Simpsonville Upstate Church. Maybe it's time for you to dive into our awesome ministries and invest eternally. For others of you in here, it's maybe you just need to spend a little more time at home instead of seeking that career and lead your family spiritually. Maybe it's knocking on that neighbor's door today and sharing about the gospel of Jesus who gives rest so they could be called from their exhausting life they've been living, a life built on lies. I I don't know where you may be today, but what I do know is this. This lie is prevalent in our society, and dare I say, even in the American Southern Church. But the thing is, you don't have to sit there. The temptation is going to be to walk out of these doors and say, yeah, God, I know you need me to do that, but then I double down on the lie. 
Friends, don't do that today. Leave behind the exhausting American dream. Come to the Father who gives rest and watch how he uses your life that is fully satisfied in him alone. God does not want you to be happy and healthy or happy and wealthy over the priority of you being fully satisfied in Jesus. If you're fully satisfied in him, watch what happens and how God will use you for his glory. Let's pray. Jesus, you alone are worthy. You alone are the one who satisfies. Nothing else will. If there are those in here who are looking to you for satisfaction, Lord, would you call them to you today? Lord, if there are those of us in here who are fooled into thinking this earth is enough, Lord, would you break us of that lie today? Father, I pray that you would do that which you can only do during this time. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.